While this podcast contains little to no explicit material, it is sprinkled with some uncensored swears. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody. Hello. Uh, the Omniplex is open. We are your hosts. I am Albert. I'm Austin. I'm Zephyr. Welcome. Uh, so what are, we, what are we talking about today? Something we're going to probably be talking about for the next year. Yeah. Welcome to 2020. And 2021 and probably 2022 for a good portion. Yeah. It's time to do a COVID update. Um, mm-hmm. And we've all had pretty dramatic life changes. I I remarked in the lead-up to this cast that it felt as if my life had completely overhauled. And that's true. Uh, for those that don't know, I lost my job in um, August mm-hmm. and um, found a new one about a month later. And I've been at that now for about a month and a half. So pretty dramatic changes in my life. And uh, after having been uh, unemployed for several months, I finally got a new line of work packing the plastic food trays. A nice. job that, it, that pays the same as my last one, but far less strenuous. It's kind of the same where, way I am. Yeah, it has done wonders for my mental health because i'm not coming home completely exhausted i'm not a workhorse anymore which is great and yet oddly enough it's actually right across the street from my last job (laughs) (laughs) so the the commute for me is still the same which, which is very nice but yeah i've gotten a new line of work i'm in a job that is considered essential once uh once the inevitable uh, second lockdown happens. Yes, yes, because uh, at, at the time of this recording, for those way off in the distant future, uh, this is uh, mid-November 2020, and holy shit, has a lot happened since then. We will be uh, we will be covering the big election um, in a future cast. That's that's something we're going to be getting to. Oh yeah, once uh, once the dust has settled, so to speak. Um, yes. And it's it's settling. It's settling slowly. It's starting to, yeah. Hopefully it continues to. So, yeah, we're not overtly political here, but we're kinda. Well, none of us have been quiet. No, none of us have. If you're checking our personal feeds at all, we're yeah, pretty active, but... Yeah. Yeah. As for me, um, since July, July is when I started my new job. And uh, I went from, oh, God, how do I say this without saying it? <laughs> so, you know, I've left my old job. But I don't really say want to say where I worked. I'll just say it is essential. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a parallel move, sort of, except mm-hmm. I went from contractor to not contractor. I'll just say that much. 
Yeah. There we go. And it's I'm assassin. Um assassin. <laughs> uh-huh. Just doing it for exposure. Exactly. It's it's like uh Mike Milligan at the end of Fargo season two. I went from being in the field to being in the op no, no, that's not true at all. They're both offices. But anyway, so I am a lot more secure where I am, kinda. It's more seasonal work, but it's permanent. Um yeah. so supposedly my current they call it tour of duty that's also probably giving away kind of a little bit it's not military it ends in december but they'll probably go beyond that to be honest but anyway so that that's where i am i like it a lot better i'm getting the hang of it more day by day it's different and uh we have all segueing into uh the comp the like the, the topic uh, we have all seen a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In more ways than one over the last uh, few months. So let's get into it. We're, we're, get, we're going to begin with uh, election, right? Yes. Yeah. Alexander Payne's election, which yeah. I finally saw about two weeks ago, and I rewatched it last night. And I know you, Albert, said that you just saw it recently as well yeah i'm the weirdo in that i saw it two decades ago just to put some um for the first time i mean i've seen it several times since then yeah mm-hmm. holy god is it great it is it has teeth it has sharp teeth very sharp teeth and just watching it now and especially within that time period of just not knowing what's going to happen and then seeing the events in election fold out and knowing what has happened in the past cycle or so it's very eerie i'm not gonna lie which is funny because it was in and of itself an allegory for the 1992 election which speaks to how yeah that was that was the idea was it was a rip on the 92 election Huh. I don't know that it completely holds up as such, just to be honest, but that was the idea. I think 1992 was the first presidential election I remember being a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a stark memory of second grade. They had, like, they were teaching us about, oh, yeah, we have presidential elections in school. They were like, so let's do a class poll. Like, who are you going to vote for? And me, I'm just like. George H.W. Bush. <laughs> and then I told I went home and told my parents all about it. And they were like, you did what? <laughs> yeah. First time I learned about partisan politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. I, I gotta say, this is Matthew Broderick's best role. It is. And I think it's because he is so milquetoast that seeing him finally get to just play a bastard. And someone who doesn't think he's a bastard, but who is a total bastard, he's very good in it. Um, Because otherwise, I just find his nebbish bullshit unbearable. I'm on the record as hating Ferris Bueller. So yeah, he's really amazing in this. He was born to play this part. Like, he's very natural in it. Yeah. A nice guy who is not a nice guy, really. And considering this was out in the same year as Inspector Gadget, Jesus, I think, yeah, uh, I think well, it's, oh god, it was. 
does yeah. not get much more extreme. Yeah, I, I think it's clear which is the better film. They should give a brief summary, uh, the briefest of summaries. Uh, and it only needs it. It only yeah. needs it, yeah. It's about uh, class elections, and Reese Witherspoon plays the gung-ho until, like, this movie unfolds, like, until uh end of the first act it was running unopposed and uh has an affair with a with a teacher ex-teacher uh, ex-teacher yeah matthew broderick's friend yeah and uh therefore matthew broderick does not trust her and tries to distance her, himself from her and tries to sabotage the election because of it but there it should be noted there's another reason running through why he wants to bring her down He's horny for her himself. Yes, he is. And the movie only brings it up one time, mm-hmm. but you know it's the undercurrent of everything that's going through his mind. The one, the once is enough. It's, yeah, he wants to cru- he wants to crush her to crush his feelings. Uh huh. So yeah, so he enlists um, he enlists a, a student. I like the American Pie movies, but this is the only good Chris Klein performance. Uh, he's re- he's really good in this. Otherwise, he's best known for inspiring Chris Evans' work in uh, Not Another Teen Movie. Nice. He's also the only pure character in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his sister isn't completely impure. Right. She's likable. Yeah. And the and I will say this: the movie lets her lets the sister off the hook way more than the book did. Because I've read the book too. I actually read the book before I saw the movie. And the book ends on kind of a sad ending for her, where she gets the uh, she gets everything she wants, and she's miserable because it's not what she thought it was going to be. The movie instead gives her the super happy ending, and I think that's the better. I mean, the movie is better than the book. I will, they're very close, but the movie's the better version at every step. So I, I didn't know there was a book. Yeah, it, yeah, uh, yeah. Tom Parada, it's a fantastic novel, but the movie's the better version. And it's this is one of those movies. You almost don't want to talk too much about it because there's so much good here that you want to let it be discovered. Yeah, we 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 want you to go out, search it out. It's on it's on Prime right now. Yeah, it's for free on Prime. It's it's you will laugh your ass off. That's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And I do want I do want to bring up this point. I think it's funny that the movie didn't do better at the box office in 1999, and I think that's because they had no idea how to sell it. They really didn't, and the poster for it is... It's abysmal. It is Mm -hmm. atrocious. It's one of the worst posters I've ever seen. It's bad at selling what the movie is. I don't don't even know how to describe it. It's Um, essentially Reese Witherspoon boring Matthew Broderick. What the hell is that? It makes no sense. No, and also I think uh, fundamentally misinterprets the whole point of the movie. It It does. It really does. It, It was just a bad design overall i will say i think mtv did a very very good job of selling it like they did try to sell it on the network well paramount they had no idea what it was did they sell it as an art film did you know did they sell it to that crowd did they sell it to teenagers i think if they just sold it to teenagers it would have done fine it would because 1999 was for those that don't remember a huge year for teen movies and in fact, you've got the stars of two of the biggest in them in that year in the film, 
And I was 16 when I saw the film, so I can speak from that age group. Played great. God, I just love this movie. I, I've actually done another podcast on this. I was a guest on a podcast, and I had to do this versus uh, Noah Baumbach's uh, Greenberg, which I did not like. Fast preference there. That's election. Like, it's, it is very interesting watching it against recent elections. Yeah, to get into why would be major spoilers. It would be, yes. Very much so. But mm-hmm. it's one of those where you just keep watching and goes, oh. Oh. Timely is an understatement. I'll put it that way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeedy. I'll also say this. I think the movie likes the char- likes all of its characters, which is kind of rare for a satire this biting. This is true. But the movie does actually like the characters. No one in it is like, oh, that's a terrible person and that's who you don't want to be. It's They're all flawed. They're all human. It has compassion for each of its characters. And that's what I think Payne does so well, is he's such a humanist filmmaker. So, yeah, I, d- I dug this one. Um, so let's round the horn. And Zephyr, you really were tempting me by saying that you had a lot of crap to get to. Uh, first up on the list is The Lion King 2019. Ooh, tell us about that. You know you absolutely fucked up when the better feline adaptation of the year was Cats? I I understand that. Like, I, I liked, I actually did like Cats, but I can understand that comment, and it's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's not good at all. Like... Everything that you remember and loved about Lion King 94 is neutered to the absolute extreme in this current edition where there's barely any color. It's all a very earthy, natural palette where nothing really stands out. There's no exaggerated features in any of the characters you pretty much have to go by memory from the 94 version on who is who that's bad yeah that's really bad uh scars uh song be prepared is gutted and turned into a monologue of sorts that sort of segues into be prepared towards the end but not really so yeah you know Having one of the major set pieces of the film just gutted entirely. I just want to point this out. The 3D release of the movie was in 2011. That's a really short time. It is. Wait, was it 2011? Yeah, 2011. that long ago? Yeah, because I was dating Amanda. I was dating Amanda. Weird. I could have sworn it was like 2014. No, 2014 might have been like the home release of the 3D version. Because 3D TVs were still a thing. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I'll i give you this. Uh, Seth Rogen is probably the best part of the film, but that's not saying much. And that feels like it's just because Seth Rogen is one of those guys who just makes me laugh. But it, it it's weird, though, because instead of like the carefree lifestyle that was promoted by Timon and Pumbaa in the 94 version... They sort of take a nihilist route in this one. Why? Yeah. Huh. And it has the idea that in an attempt to reimagine things, as Disney has done for the past seven or eight years, um, the quote-unquote sequence where in the 94 version, Timon 
dresses up in drag and does the hula is now replaced with Timon doing Be Our Guest. Uh, oh. I shit oh. you not. Oh. Yes, Timon starts off doing Lumiere's part and then it just fucking cuts to them being no. chased away. No. Yeah. Okay, then. Yeah. Solid fucking pass. I am going to happily stick with the original. Yes. Which okay, there's a, there's a, there's a second good Matthew Broderick movie there. Since July, I've done the Ralph Bakshi and the adult animated stuff, which we've already covered. I've gone through, and uh, how do I put this? I saw Artemis Fowl. Oh yeah. I feel like that's kind of all you need to say. Yes, I saw it too. Josh Gad as bootleg Hagrid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny story. Uh, me and Tab watched it, started watching it, and she thought it was supposed to be a TV series, and wondered why it wondered why it was running long. <laughs> I mean, I I don't blame her for that because, like, I'm I'm currently going through uh, Fassbender's Eight Hours Don't Make a Day, and there's only five episodes, but each episode is an hour and 45 minutes. Ooh, dang. Yeah, so they're essentially full-length movies. They're great, I'm not going to lie. I'm about halfway through. But yeah, Artemis Fowl, a film that has been in development now for decades. Literally. Yeah, literally. And thanks to... Well, the reason why we're doing a third edition of this cast got put onto Disney Plus. And again, Dame Judi Dench, not in her best uh, acting role here, considering this was right after Cats 2019. I, having not read the books, I can see from a storytelling standpoint where all the flaws are. Like, it feels very rushed. Like, Artemis Fowl is not even about Artemis Fowl in the film. Josh Gad's jaw-extending character in a horrifying scene. Yeah, it's about Josh Gad being Josh Gad playing bootleg Hagrid and explaining this to you via flashback, which is not how it happened in the first book. I tried reading the first book as a kid. I, I know I tried. I couldn't get through it. And this also had the audacity to have a Radiohead song in its trailer. You know, Twilight ended with a Radiohead song, and I'm not even as angry about that thought. Yeah, I mean... At least that one earned it. Yeah, and it was a really good uh, really good pick for a song, too. It set the film off on a good note. Okay, we should not be sitting here talking about the relative merits of Twilight next to one of, one of Kenneth Branagh's paycheck movies. It, it was a paycheck it was very much yeah. a paycheck it was a disney had no idea what to do with it this was a kenneth Branagh movie wasn't it this was one of his i'm phoning it in because i need the money oh and i want to do some stage work so this is how i can afford it yeah then there was the mating habits of the earthbound human it's essentially a pseudo documentary done by aliens on exactly what what it is, the meeting ha habits of the earthbound human. And so you see a guy trying to hook up with a girl and presume to do 
you know, the usual dating and sexual rituals. That's it. That's it. With uh, David Hyde Pierce as the alien narrator. Okay, that sounds not unfunny. It was a full-length film that should have been a five-minute short. Yeah. That's um, what it boiled down to. That sounds... Yeah, that doesn't sound... That That's kind of annoying when they'll do that. There is a very popular comedy that I don't like, that a lot of people do like, that did the same thing. So I will not say it on air, but I will say that it inspired a TV show that is much better. I sat through Kangaroo Jack. I sat through Baby Geniuses. May may I ask why you sat through those two particular films? Why precisely? Because I somehow missed out on them, quote-unquote, growing up and figured, <sighs> okay, I know they're terrible. I just got to see for myself. And yeah, I did. I did not expect Kangaroo Jack to make a reference to Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, but here <laughs> we are. Well, that's because it was originally an R-rated film that was edited down. Yeah. Yeah, that that much I got from prior research, but still. What, uh, Kangaroo Jack was? Yeah. Yes. I guess I didn't know that. Kangaroo Jack was a... a, This is one of those films that... We talk a lot about lost cuts that people will never see. If Kangaroo Jack had been any kind of film that was more than a joke, this would be one of the lost cuts that we would be as fascinated by as the lost musical cuts uh, of films that got their music taken out. It's that kind, it's that extensive re-editing. But nobody gives a shit about the movie, so next. Yeah. Um, Drive hated it. I can understand why, even though I feel the exact opposite way. It is a weird movie. It's it's oddly paced. It is very oddly paced, very dry. It I could not understand the hype and praise behind this particular film. I don't even get why it's that praised, and I'm one of the people who praises it that much, but I think it's such a weird, idiosyncratic film. I think it's one of those that you really have to go in not wanting an action movie, even though it's sold as an action movie. And when it does become an action movie, it throws down. It does. And uh, it's also one that you should never, ever, ever watch the trailer beforehand, because the trailer gives you everything. It's the movie on Fast Forward. Then there's Curbside. Now, this one is not necessarily a film, but rather a a pilot for a failed series featuring Terry Toon characters. Oh, that's interesting. It It is on YouTube, and it starts off with Heckle and Jekyll kind of foreshadowing the Eric Andre show in a couple of shots. I'm not going to lie, but like it it's them trying to do like a the gritty reboot of Terry Toon characters and it's more or less a compilation of what were new uh Terry Toon shorts so you do have a new Heckle and Jekyll you do have a new uh Mighty Mouse actually nowhere near this one but it's it, it was meant to be lost for a reason. 
Then there's the Flintstone Kids Just Say No special. <laughs> Can I yeah. guess what era that's from? You, I mean, it's right there in the title. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it ends with them going to the Michael Jackstone concert. Oh, God. Oh, there's an awkward ending. With a rewrite of Beat It. Oh, that aged like fine wine, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, let, let's see. Oblivion. The uh, Tom Cruise vehicle from 2013. Anyone remember this one? Yeah, I heard it was okay. Vaguely? Yeah, it's okay. That's all I can say about it. It's just Oblivion was okay. It sounds like Moon for Dummies. I'll say that. It really is Moon for Dummies. Uh, okay, this one... Okay, I watched Cuties. Right oh. at the, Yeah, right at the height of the debacle, and knowing how Netflix absolutely botched mm-hmm. uh, their marketing, because they did botch it tremendously, and essentially destroyed... Uh, this filmmaker, this director, uh, my, I know I'm going to butcher her name, but my Mona Ducore. Yeah. Netflix did her absolutely no favors and all of the controversy behind it. It's explained in the film that like all the clips from the film were taken wildly out of context. Of course. Of course. And Part of the debacle is that you have this intersectional minority filmmaker trying to get her product out there, which includes some rather intense subject matter. And yet, when you compare it to, um, let's say, Toddlers and Tiaras, which is disgusting, is disgusting, is despicable, and is highly American. And yes, there is controversy surrounding toddlers and tiaras. Let's make that clear. There were some very choice decisions on everyone's part. Everyone is complicit in that. But just, I, it's one where you watch it to understand what the hell people were so upset about. Because it is a good coming-of-age film. That's what I heard. Yeah, it was just so widely maligned. God, God help us if these people ever found Tomboy. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. A movie uh, that I have mixed feelings about. A Curious Case of Benjamin Bullshit. Next. <laughs> well, not even, no, we're not even, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even giving this one a minute of time. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, it, it's fucking bad. Uh, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. It tried. Yeah. Okay. It it tried. I think there's a reason that the first film is still considered such an iconic classic, and you still hear people talk about it, and it's still considered one of the scariest films ever made. I ended up watching the uh, actual sequel earlier this morning, and it's just the first one with a tech upgrade, nothing more. Hmm. I'll I'll stick with the first one. Yeah. And they do show you the Blair Witch in, in this one. It, it's essentially 
Slenderman meets string cheese. <laughs> that's the design they went with. Hey, that's a mistake. Yes. Oh God. Let's see where where else have I gone wrong? <laughs> okay, totally mini. Okay, this was. Yeah, I'm familiar with this. But go on. Yeah, this was a Disney special where you had a guy that I believe was from Revenge of the Nerds play a nerd. Yeah, Robert Carradine. Yeah, and he gets sent to this institute that Minnie runs for some reason to make him more popular. And I shit you not, there are... Like, there is a montage of the male Disney villain set to... uh, a Janet Jackson song. I need to do some uh, pills and watch this. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those where you kind of sit there and wonder what, what fresh hell. Because they got Vanna White and Elton John to do cameos. That's random. Of course, Elton was just getting sober about that time, so. True. Alice through the, the looking glass. It looks pretty. It's a lot prettier than the first one. And Sasha Baron Cohen as the timekeeper, time lord, or whatever you want to call him, is is out there. But it, it's it's pretty to look at, and you're better off watching it while high. Sure, that that's really what it is. Um, I did revisit Disney's Peter Pan as well, and uh, holy shit! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh that that that's aging badly, isn't it? Aging horribly. There there's a very like saying aside that whole sequence, okay? Saying aside that whole sequence. Disney Channel cannot actually show this on any of their networks because of uh, the need to censor like all of the drinking and the smoking that goes on, and you can't cut like there's so much cut from that film that you'd be left with next to nothing. But yeah, the racism in this, holy shit! And just giving uh, the chief fucking noodle legs when he dances, yeah, yeah. 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 Got a theatrical yeah. re-release in 1989, I will point out. Yeah. Um, I saw it. K-Pax. Fucking K-Pax. Motherfucking K-Pax. I saw this in a theater, so please go on. Okay. Obviously knowing what we know now about Kevin Spacey, that's already strike one. Strike two is merging the merging this thriller aspect of is this person mentally ill or is he actually an alien? Who fucking knows? It It's just set up so badly. And of course, you get to the sequence at the 4th of July barbecue where he's surrounded by nothing but kids. And that's awkward. Yeah, you're just like, oh god, make this K-Pax is bad. It it's bad on a conceptual level. It's bad on a 
bad on a filmmaking level. And the scene where you have Kevin Spacey just going ham on a banana, peeling everything is, yeah. I'm going to make a confession. Um, I liked it when I saw it in the theater, but at the same time, I was 17. And there's a reason that I literally have not seen it since 2001. Because I know that I'd go back to it and I would completely would bounce right off. Uh, it's one of those things, I think you can only like it when you're in high school, if that makes any sense. I think you, I think that's the outer limit of how much you can absorb it. And then you just start watching so much better stuff and you're like, no, no this is bouncing right. You know? Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Next. Yes. Uh, Killer Clones from Outer Space. Finally something good. Yay! Ooh, yeah. And that is fun. It is so much fun. Just the overall aesthetic. Like, can we get grimy, uh, blacklight, uh, funhouse aesthetic back? That's oh, so good. And It is. Of course, part of it was that they were, of course, trying to disguise their budget that way. Right. But it works. It works so well. That's one I own in a in a collection. I got in a stocking stuffer along with uh, uh, Buckaroo Bonsai and Spaceballs. Yeah, it's of that spirit. Yeah. And I yeah, and I didn't know what it was, and I watched it. It's like this is this is both terrifying and a lot of fun. And oddly enough, a movie that stayed in pretty constant circulation. That's the weird thing. You'd think this would be one that had disappeared. It's always been available. It used to be at my grocery store. Yeah. Uh, the Boys and the Band, the uh, 2020 remake of the uh, William Freakin film. Yes, that Freakin. Um, it's great. Yeah, I heard. Uh, didn't Joe Mantello direct the adaptation? Uh, da, 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 yes. Yes, yeah. he did. Well, he's he's a, a stage genius. Uh, so And, of course, an acclaimed actor in his own right. Mm-hmm. Um, good, good. I I heard they did. I know they took. I, I want to say they took the Broadway cast actually. Yeah, yeah, they did. They they took the uh, Broadway well revival of the Broadway cast and put them in this film adaptation, and it's real. It it's very three dimensional. It's you definitely sympathize with all of these characters, especially given that this was pre-AIDS within the time that it's set in. It's a very good queer film to watch. And then uh, Yes God Yes. Uh, This is a small coming of age film where a girl uh, in a Catholic upbringing and Catholic school discovers her own sexuality and i don't want to say hijinks ensue but events occur yeah events occur and the bulk of it takes place at this retreat and my god did they get the aesthetic down like raised catholic i like i'm sitting here laughing my ass off because they got it down so perfectly like the barren uh woodsy area that they all go to that all these retreats are set at the uh very spartan uh buildings and things like that oh my they they got it and 
it's it's handled as well as one one could expect with with this subject matter. It, I would definitely recommend this one. Uh, it is on Netflix as we speak. Uh, yeah, they purchased it. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. And then Dear Santa, the uh, stalker film, the uh, stalker Hallmark film. Oh God! Oh God! Yes. Uh, directed by Jason Priestley. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good. And one of the main characters actually condones uh, our heroine's uh, stalking habits and then just brushes it aside. That sounds bad. Yeah. That sounds horrifying. It is. It is. Yeah. And this is supposed to be a feel-good holiday movie. <sighs> Complete with gay stereotype, like, pink everything got the earring got got the fashion got you know got that quote-unquote gay trademark vibe going yeah it it's not good at all the pretender the if i if i ever come to jesus i come all the way next yeah next uh jim carrey in the number 23 one that i have not seen and maybe regret not seeing because of how much I've heard about it. It's like, I know everybody shits on Joel Schumacher for Batman and Robin, but this is the worst film. That's what I've heard. Yeah, this is absolute garbage. Like, you have Jim Carrey as, as this character trying to piece everything together with this red book called the number 23 by Top Secrets. Yes, Top Secrets. What? Yes. I'm sorry, excuse me? <laughs> That's the name they went with? Yes. Yes. The the author went by the name of Topsy Kretz. Oh god. Yes. That's Terry Pratchett level naming uh conventions, and this is not a comedy. No, this is <laughs> this is far from a comedy. In fact, like you have it's like if Joel Schumacher saw the cover for Radiohead's Amnesiac and said, I'm going to make a fucking film out of this. <laughs> because that's essentially what it is. Because mm. Carrie does indeed have amnesia, which isn't re- revealed until much later in the film in a complete ass grab. I will say I know where the, what the twist of the movie is. And I am amazed that is something that somebody actually got before studio. And they didn't say, get the hell out of my office. Yeah, it's, it's bad. It, it really is bad because like half of the film is Jim Carrey reading a book that is about this detective who stumbles upon the 23 Enigma as it's currently known in pop culture. And then he then in turns fall falls for that enigma. And I mean, if you're going to make a movie about one of the six numbers from Lost, it might as well be that one. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I think that's a that's a great review. And then the final film that I'm going to highlight here because I I saw way more than what I've mentioned. Uh, the recent uh roger waters concert us and them 
This is uh, him trying to be a smidge more uh, humanitarian in concept. Uh, however, it kind of falls by the wayside a little bit because, like, he's trying to be like the whole premise of this is is that it's supposed to be actively political because this is a concert from the Trump era and. I've seen people complain about the politics in a Roger Waters concert. And I'm saying there, it's like, do you not know who the fuck you're talking about? Like, you've listened to his stuff and you're complaining about it. It's people like those. I just want to like shake by the throat and fucking slap them. It's like, you came here for this and oh my God. But yeah, I, I will say he does make some inspired choices in, I guess, sort of rearranging uh, the bulk of Dark Side of the Moon, as well as uh, de- delivering some cuts from animals and uh, his recent uh, outing. Is this the life we really want? Also, political as hell. I will say there was a lot of screen time given to the two female singers that both looked like a a blend of Blade Runner 2049 girls and Sia. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting blend. And they managed to make uh, one of these days an actual dance song for some reason. But if if you're deep into the Pink Floyd mythos, you would that comment alone would realize, hey that actually makes sense because it was featured on a compilation called a collection of great dance songs, which had nothing danceable to it. It's crazy. Yeah. It's kind of the point, but still it, it's not as good as his uh, concert for the wall, which he did about seven or eight years ago. That one is fucking fantastic to watch and surround sound. But yeah, that's, the bulk of what I saw. Albert, I'm going to bounce things over to you because I want to end on a film that I know you and I both saw. So, Yes. Uh, so I actually have... Um, I have some movies, but I actually have a lot of TV shows. I want to start off with Conquer. Uh, I have a lot of horror movies on this list just because Tab and I kind of used Halloween to as a reason to check out some movies. And uh, we watched Adam Sandler's new Netflix movie. <clears throat> I don't know what else to say about that one. Yeah, that's what, that is a that is a choice you made. Yeah, Hubie <laughs> Halloween. Like we almost turned it off at a few points. It wasn't as bad as it could have been. It also wasn't as good as it could have been. That's it. Uh, we also checked out in the same night Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and uh, it's really good. I heard, I heard a lot of good about that. I heard they did a good job with it. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro was one of the writers on it, and it shows. And uh, I did not grow up with the books, but I grew up knowing about them and going, those drawings are creepy as shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it lives up to it. <laughs> I think the uh, like the books were basically anthology, right? Yeah. Yes. Just, yeah, just like Goosebumps or... Like it. This is really the the first movie that was really only done to adapt the drawings. Yes, and honestly, good job. Like, 
they tied it into a cohesive story that did not at all feel forced. Cool. In fact, it's pretty it's put to good use. A book uh, written by a by an angry ghost that uh, was a victim and uh, is taking it out taking out her revenge on anybody and everybody that touches her shit. And uh, this puts a very good use. I, yeah. I heartily recommend. We also checked out in the Halloween spirit, um, The Haunting of Bly Manor. Watched a bit of that. That was good. I didn't know this while I was watching it until I saw Greg Sestero make a post on it. But, oh, hi, Mark. Yeah. And it, when he when he shows up at the end and actually talks, it, it throws you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just, I had a, something is clicking in my brain, but I don't exactly know what it is yeah. moment. I don't, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know why. Now I know why. Yeah. But anyway, he does not overshadow it. Like, no. it's, it's, it's a very good, um, I did not get to finish Haunting of Hill House. It's a good companion. Yeah. And I, but this one has, uh, has a happier ending. Yeah not giving anything away but anyway out of the horror um and into some tv we've like in the entirety of the last month and a half we watched and finished uh schitt's creek mm-hmm. and that's one that uh i had heard floating around for a while and the name was kind of like that's a little too cutesy i don't know if i want to get into that but uh if you think that get into it <laughs> Yeah, I've seen a bit of that. It's not bad. Um, it's funny. I'm still working through uh, season one, but yeah, it's. I heard it gets much better after season one. Yeah. Oh yeah, the characters get a lot more um, three dimensional. Not that they weren't to begin with, but they just they they get a lot more depth. Yeah, because it kind of starts off with the uh, Arrested Development vibes. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, but you know, you get to actually care about these people. Yeah, and you gotta and you gotta love just the coolness of uh, Eugene and Daniel Levy winning uh, acting trophies in the same year. That's cool as hell. Yeah, we actually just watched the um, the wrap up thing they have they put on Netflix, like chronicling the filming of the last season, and uh, it's very tear jerking. Yeah, but anyway. So, good show. Really good show. It's a very quick watch. Like, 13 episodes per season. Highly recommend. So, let's see. What else? We we finished Malcolm in the Middle. I love that show. I love that show. That's pretty, That was pretty much the entirety of the quarantine. I got to see it um, in kind of a new light. Because, like, I did not grow up with that kind of family. But my girlfriend did. <laughs> It's good shit. It, yeah, it went from a, uh, from in my mind, from a oh my god, uh, these people are insane to, to oh my god, these people exist, <laughs> and somebody grew up in this in this kind of household, and it's it's really funny, but yeah, it maintains. It really does. It's one of the few comedies that ran as long as it did. And ends exactly as strong as it began. It it really does. Like it, I don't think it has a weak episode or a weak point. I will say this: there's often the commentary of how weird it is that Brian Cranston went from 
that to Breaking Bad, but no, if you watch them, it's a pretty it's a pretty obvious jump, actually. Yeah, no. And uh I ha- I highly recommend just kind of as a tangent, Brian Cranston's autobiography, especially the audiobook because he reads it. Uh it's really good and he talks about that and he talks about how uh he talks about how they played a game on set of what can we make Brian Cranston do? Cover him in bees? Yeah, sure. <sighs> and, that, and, that, and I think it's just remarkable what makes it a great comedy. I, I, that show is eternal to me. Huge fan. Huge fan. Oh, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I won't be surprised if in another year or so Tab and I go through it again. I, I just used a credit, an Amazon credit to buy the audiobook but lovecraft country yeah Hmm. Um, i've read the book i've read the book um yeah it's very much a pilot for a tv show is how i will describe the book yeah it is completely obvious that it was written as a pilot for a tv show and i'm glad it's in the form it belongs in it's not a bad book but it is obviously what it is interesting but yeah i mean it's um we're on what the third or fourth episode right now uh and kind of slowly making our way through and it's i'll just say that there is like i'm gonna find it and post it on the in the show notes apparently there's a college professor out there who made a syllabus for each and every episode just as just for sort of background because it it doesn't require it necessarily, but is a huh? Shit. It's, it's really weird how HBO has become the place where, you know, if you want to get your entertainment that really makes you think about this kind of material between that and Watchmen. You need to watch. I need to watch Watchmen. Watchmen is. Watchmen in television became what Watchmen the graphic novel is. It's that kind of towering. And I still like the film, damn it. I actually bought the film during this period, so go figure. I have affection for the film. Just, yeah, just because it's a flawed film, but it's a very good adaptation. Yeah. Well, it's a flawed book, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. My, uh, my girlfriend introduced me to the the 2017 version of the Dirk Gently TV show. It's not bad. Like, it's, it's hard to separate um kind of linking back to the dirk cast yeah it's hard to separate douglas adams work from somebody who adapts it yeah like as far as creating as far as creating original material that does not follow like exactly but it's not bad you really do have to kind of separate it because you know douglas's work is his work and he's hard to emulate but it's 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 not bad it's not bad it's 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 very enjoyable. Can I watch the second the second season soon? And there are lots of little throwbacks to Douglas's original work. It's like <laughs> I enjoy that. That's on Hulu. In the last day or two, uh, we went ahead and watched the Darkwing Duck special, which I've heard great about. Yeah, from Ducktales, and it's mm, I love what they're done, what they're doing with uh, with Ducktales. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up. This is, a chance for, this is what you're supposed to do when you do a reboot. is Because it's possible to get new audiences in and also make the old one happy. It is possible. And they're, they're doing a great job. Um, 
And honestly, having revisited the original DuckTales show, I'm going to talk a little blasphemy here. I don't think it holds up as well as we remember it. The animation's a little cheap. Uh, the storytelling is a little weak. This is almost like you're getting what you remember that show being, if that makes sense. And I, I noted this actually when I reviewed the um, Marv Wolfman uh, miniseries that he did, or the arc that he did of the comics. That's kind of what they, what he did there too, is that's what you remember it being. But it wasn't necessarily that. And this is kind of how this feels, you know. Oh, just wait. I'm I'm going to talk some real heresy about a childhood favorite in a moment. So, <laughs> well, yeah, and it's uh, see, so yeah, I highly recommend. I don't know how long the Darkwing Duck special is going to be up on YouTube for for free, but uh, check it out. Like, you don't need to have seen the rest of uh, the Ducktales series to enjoy it. It's a fun bit of nostalgia, and it's very cleverly done. And as I was hoping, you know, because I've just I remember I just turned to Tab and went like, "Hey, uh, this feels like they are gearing up for a spinoff." They are, and uh, yeah. guess what? They are. They are. It's it's totally going to happen at Disney Plus. Um, I I think they're eventually going to get an entire universe going. Like they're going to build a Disney Afternoon universe. The Disney Afternoon universe. Hey, I'm down for it. I'm down for it. <laughs> Still waiting for Disney Plus to put. Uh, the Wuzzles up there. That would be nice. I love the Wuzzles. They have damn near everything else. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty short. I, don't, I mean, they had gummy bears. I, I don't see why they can't put the Wuzzles up there. Also gotta make that gotta make that live-action Gargoyles. Uh, that, you know, if, if Disney Plus wants to make money, a live-action Gargoyles series, it's money in the bank for you. A big-budget movie would be amazing, but I think a TV series might even... Because Gargoyles was always a very serialized show. Yeah. You don't need to change any of the voices. No, oh God, get Keith David back right now. The man... We all know the man still has those pipes. Borat 2. Just talk briefly about it, because we're going to be doing that one a full run later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Trump era cast. So, I will say, uh, it's been probably since it's since Borat came out, uh, I've seen the original. I like this one better just because I feel like, uh, I feel like it came at just the right moment. Like they started and you can tell like they had to, I'm sure this was probably true with the original too. They had to, uh, yeah. really come up with the plot as it, as they went and without giving any spoilers, they did really good on it. But yeah, it's. I love the animated sequences in it. That's all I'll say about that. Um, some of the bits that I, that I sent uh, you two while uh, watching it, just like he really highlights, like he really gives the last several months uh, a lot of perspective because it's basically a lot of the movie. Like they started filming it bef like in late 2019. Yeah. Uh, so like before COVID really exploded, but uh, this is pretty much a good satirical time capsule of the last year. It's great. It's hilarious. But anyway, we're at two. Just a quick run through. Uh, do you do you, do you want to start with the last one I want no, to talk about? No, because for a very deliberate reason, I'm waiting on that last one. 
Waiting was a key portion of that one. So I'm, but I'm going to get through mine and it actually will, I said it was going to be a short list, but there are actually a few films that I do want to highlight. Um, first of all, I've been watching a shit ton of riff tracks, including a theatrical visit. Yes, I went to the theater during COVID, judge me, um, to see Jacko. Uh, now, of course, they didn't do a live show this year. They were going to do uh, Amityville, The Evil Escapes, which is the Killer Lamp movie. And they <laughs> were going to do Hobgoblins, which is my favorite MST3K episode ever. Um, so, because they couldn't do that, they, they did have a video on demand of uh, Jacko that they were going to show. And they showed that in the theater. Um, and it was great just to be sitting there in the theater watching it, the experience of just listening to these guys riff. Uh, it's a good riff. It's, it's available now online. It's not hard to find. It's good. It's good. I'd say it's mid-tier for them. Like, did I need to pay to see it in a theater? No. But the experience was about getting to be there in the theater and laughing. And it's good. It's a weird-ass movie. The riff that I really want to highlight is Blood Theater. Because, um, of course, they've had a lot of good shorts uh, this period. But I want to highlight Blood Theater. Because, as I said, they, they were going to do Hobgoblins uh, from the uh, Rick Sloan uh, classic. Well, they, they did riff one of his other movies. And this is one of the weirdest goddamn things I've ever seen. Uh, Mary Warnoff has a long cameo in it. Really, it's a supporting role. And because I love Chopping Mall so much, and, you know, I love, she's done a lot of other really good cult work, it's bizarre that she's in it as much as she is. This movie is more sexist than Hobgoblins, and I want us all to think about that shit. This movie is, it makes no sense. It is so much less put, to, put together than Hobgoblins. Hobgoblins had a plot. It had an A to B to C narrative. This has nothing. It is... Kind of a haunted movie theater, weird shit happens. It's a great riff. They did a really good job with it. There, there is some funny stuff in it. Um, I did also go to the theater to take Lola to her first movie, and we saw The Land Before Time. So, a little bit of a, it was a good experience. Lola really enjoyed it, but I'm going to do a little bit of heresy here. Is it just me, or is that movie pretty mid-tier? No, you're you're not wrong. It is rather mid tier. It's uh, it's gorgeously animated, but that script is. Here, here's the thing. It's merciful. It's mercifully short. It is that. It is short. Which, believe me, was nice when you had a four year old in the theater. Yeah, it it's short. I I guess coming approaching this from my perspective anyway, because it was only around. Th- the third or fourth movie that I started paying attention to those out of like the 14 or 15 that exist. An actual count, not hyperbole. Yes. An actual count. Um, this, I feel like this was more of like one of the alternatives to Disney animation out there. Cause keep in mind, this was right at when the Disney, how do I phrase this? This was still in the Disney Dark Age. This is at the absolute edge of the Disney Dark Age. Yeah, exactly. The thing is, this is about as good as Oliver and Company, which I've loved so much growing up, did revisit and had to be honest and say, there's not much here, though I still have affection. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. It's more that that's what animation was at that point. You look at the animated films of that moment, and they're basically all about on this tier. They're not, tr there's no real depth to them. And there are a lot of sequences and a lot of montages. And the thing that's interesting is I did also revisit the next Disney movie that would come out uh, in the fall of 1989, The Little Mermaid with Lola recently. My God, that thing holds up beautifully. That thing is a beast in terms of storytelling, in terms of characterization, in terms of, of course, animation. It's gorgeous. But, I mean, The Little Mermaid was such a quantum leap forward for animation in terms of saying, okay, we're going to actually, we're going to move this along. We've been stuck. It's amazing how well that film holds up. And I just... This is okay. It's okay. On the other hand, you know what's not okay? Uh, Armando Iannucci's The Personal History of David Copperfield. This is a movie I'm really excited to talk about. And I said it's not okay because it's great. Oh my god, I love this movie. And I'm really excited to explain why. Um, first of all, Iannucci's entire conceit with this is that he colorblind casts the whole thing. So you have uh, the great Benedict Wong, who is always so good in everything he shows up in, uh, plays the father of a black woman. Um, characters have just, there's such a blending of races. And of course, the big thing is uh, Indi British Indian Dev Patel plays the main character. Holy shit, is this a star vehicle for Patel? Uh, you just watch him out, out of this and you're like, why is this guy not leading everything? I feel like we're we're gonna get a Patel rise again because like he's been in stuff since Slumdog. He's gonna be a leading man. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because he's got the look, he's got the charisma. My God, does he have the talent? Um, yeah, because we're still waiting for uh, the Green Prince to come out. Yeah, which got the Green Knight. Yeah, the Green Knight. Yeah, which that's, that's gonna be that. I guarantee you is going to deliver. Uh, that looks amazing. He, this is, this movie, I love that its approach to Dickens is at once incredibly loose. It's incredibly unhinged, but it's not mocking Dickens. It's modernizing Dickens. It's getting the cobwebs off and saying, no, 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 no. This is a very modern story. You need to engage with it on its, on those terms. This is, it, if, if it's not on video on demand yet, it should be. Uh, my God, the acting in it. You've got Hugh Laurie, Peter Capaldi, Tilda Swinton, uh, Gwendolyn Christie, Ben Wishaw just stealing the movie as the worst human being on the planet. Again, Benedict Wong cracking you up in every scene. This movie is an acting showcase. It is, it's so kinetic. It plays with style so much. Uh, Iannucci, what he does as a director in this is, it's, it's unlike anything I've seen. And, he plays with you so much, and it's just such an enlivening film. God, this is a great film, and highly, highly recommend it. Um, it, it's, it really is something that I, I, I greatly enjoyed. Um, in terms of TV, um, honestly, usually I'm watching what Amanda's watching, so I've watched a lot more America's Next Top Model than you'd expect. And it's weird, because the cycle that they were just in, one of the, act, one of the women on there was on was in crazy stupid love and i have so much affection for that actress that it was like 
ugh, I'm, I'm cringing because I know you're going to get voted off, and I just, I, I want to miss that episode because I have too much affection for you. Look, I, America's Next Top, I I'm not the target audience. Um, we actually did make it, Amanda did make it all the way through SVU start to finish, by the way. Oh, damn. Yeah, which that's an accomplishment. Um, that's amazing. I'm glad she did that. Um, I've watched a bit of that, and here's the thing. Man, that show is scummy. It's got terrible politics. But since it's so much of an acting showcase, usually I'm having a pretty good time with it. Gotta be honest. But but there are two movies that I did watch that, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to rack my brain because there just hasn't been that much um, that I've gotten to see. Um, but there are two movies that I definitely want to cover. I will say I did not watch Batman, Death in the Family, which is apparently just a lot of recycled footage. Could not give a rat's ass about that. I did watch Superman, Man of Tomorrow. And I want to give some thoughts on that. Superman, Man of Tomorrow. Holy shit. If this was in a theater, it would be it would be a blockbuster. Oh my god, it's so good. This is... Fundamentally, the story is Superman versus Lobo and Parasite are the villains. Uh, Lex Luthor is there. It's a retelling of Superman's origin. God, this is just a great Superman story. Uh, they have some really good voice casting on it. Uh, like, uh, Neil Flynn from Scrubs is Pa Kent. Hmm. And God, he's good in it. He is so good in it. Um, he's good. Um, Darren Chris is a good Superman. He's, uh, the guy that plays Lobo is insane. And I love it. As he should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in fact, uh, Ryan Hurst is the guy's name. I looked up a picture of him in real life. He looks like it. He's this big, burly, bearded guy. Uh, he's perfect. He's perfect. Uh, Alexandra Daddario is an amazing Lois Lane. Like, goddamn, I, I the, the casting of Zachary Quinto as Lex Luthor is just so goddamn good. This is the animation is stunning on it. It's very stylized. It's very different from what you're used to. Uh, some people have compared it to Archer, and that's a good comparison. It 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 looks like a comic book. It doesn't look like reality or anime it it has that vibe so that's a good one but man it's like there was one movie that i was waiting for i don't know uh, anyway next time no 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 no. okay okay in all seriousness a uh, little bit of backstory here um i have waited so goddamn long to get to this point um i grew up wearing out a videotape of bill and ted's excellent adventure I love it. I love Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I revisited both of them this summer. And look, we're not going to get a lot of movies this year. Most likely Wonder Woman is headed to HBO Max in uh, in uh, January. We will get Soul on December 25th on Disney+. Plus. MCU is completely out of the year. But by God, Bill and Ted showed up. So, Zephyr, did you watch Bill and Ted? Uh, I did watch the first two movies. I've I still need to see the third one. I know it's out right now on physical. It, it is on Redbox, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will get to that hopefully sometime by the end of the year. Well, it is. It's so nice that I can say that after all this time. We need to point out, by the way, it took about a decade for this movie to get out. They started talking about it in 2010 seriously. Um, in fact. The writers, uh, Chris uh, Matheson and Ed Solomon, actually started writing it in 2010. They wrote the script. They could not get it made. 
of all people, Steven Soderbergh is the reason this thing happened. Uh, Steven Soderbergh finally went to the studio, pushed them, and said, look, here's this, because he read the script that they had, and he said, look, this is great. Why the hell are you not making this? Well, they finally got, because Keanu Reeves was always ready to do it. Um, oh, yeah. It, there was never any question about if he would come back. He was, he was very eager to do it. Uh, so, with that said, let's... Finally, finally, and I, of course I did revisit the first two movies this year. Albert, I know you saw it too. Oh yeah, um, so basically what ended up happening is, uh, like I bought, I bought Face the Music on digital, like when it was, yeah. uh, it's As did now I. on video. Yeah, I would, I would happily, I will happily buy it again in physical form, uh, along with the other two. So we basically taped the first two off TV, we started watching the first one. And then uh, Ted's like, want to go into the second one? I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. I have not seen the second one. And it was even crazier. Mm-hmm. The second one's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it, it has the same person who worked on the special effects for Child's Play. Kevin Yager. Kevin Yager. I'm glad you brought him up because he is basically, re- near as I can tell, he's basically retired. Except that he came back to do Face the Music. Yes. Oh, oh, awesome. Good. He did the he did the makeup for that one. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So and then uh, it was like what eleven at night, and uh, she's like, "Do do you want to start the third one?" I'm like, "You know what? We're on a roll. Let's do this." So watched it. Really enjoyed it. And I can tell you, uh, the three back to back make for a really good marathon. I really think this is down to Solomon and Matheson. It has been their baby the whole time. They have nobody else has written on it. This has been their voice the whole time. Because I, I I love the ever loving hell out of this movie. For those that don't know, I was fired the day this movie came out. Oh, so that's so even with that context, I'm praising this movie. But it's okay because I got a new job and my new job kicks ass. So, but my God, this movie it is a the thing is, you look at so many late, so many sequels that come out so many years later, and they're missing something from the original film. They're missing some part of the original DNA. I didn't feel that here. I, I really felt like this is what we're going to get when we pick up all these years later with these characters. This is exactly where they're going to wind up. And I think it really it starts with the first scene where they find a way to bring back the joke about the stepmom. They find a way to weave her back into the plot that I'm not even going to reveal how. I'm not going to reveal how, but it it's brilliant. It's completely cynicism-free, and it speaks exactly to what, to the spirit of this franchise. And then they go into that song, that goddamn song. <laughs> And if you're not laughing so hard by the end of that first sequence, then the rest of the film's going to be lost on you. Because it's so perfect. And, you know, Keanu has not gotten to do a lot of comedy lately, aside from Toy Story 4. But he hasn't lost a bit of his energy. And that's the other thing. Him and Winter together, you re- it really feels like no time has passed. It really feels like, that's the thing, Reeves and Winter, now in real life they've stayed friends, uh, which is certainly I think part of it but 
they're exactly back. They fall into these roles. There's never a sense of they're putting on cosplay. There's just this sense of everybody has come right back and we're just picking up. It is, and it really, it is so much a perfect part three. It's also a very conclusive part three. When it's over, the trilogy feels over. Yeah. But it's nice because it's exactly where you wanted the characters to go. I love that it's a sweet father-daughter film. I, I love that the whole, I love that there's never the cliches that you get about fathers and their kids where it's like, you know, I want to control. No, there's, it's the great, the, the, uh, the daughters are fantastic in it. Um, the casting in this is incredible. They actually even kind of fixed some of the problems that some of the other films had had. Uh, there's no, there's no that F word dropped in this one. Not once, not once. It does not come up. Uh, they kind of give the wives a little bit more personality. Yes, they do. I like that. Um, there, there really is some some wit to it. I love that William Sadler comes back as death. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, there were drafts where he wasn't in it, and no, 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 I could not accept a, a version of this without death. Yeah. And Sadler very famously really desperately wanted to come back and you can tell i love i love the uh, um story they give them like for things that happened in between especially with that yeah <laughs> oh you get the feeling that an entire franchise of films could be made about the in-between times oh yes uh, there's currently a miniseries that's running from a dark horse that fills in some of these gaps. Uh, nice. Written by uh, Evan Dorkin, who did the 90s comic books, and drawn by the genius Roger Langridge, uh, who I still need to write up his Muppet comics. But it's it's amazing. I just I could gush for a full cast on this movie. This is exactly what you wanted it to be, and you don't often get to say that about these movies that come all these years later. But it's just right. The reason I wanted to hold this one for last isn't just to get on the joke of, oh, well, we waited so long for it. It's because this is the kind of movie we need during this time. It's a bitter time. It's a bleak time. It's a scary time. It's about to get a hell of a lot scarier. Let's just be glad that here's a movie that has a message about unity and peace and love. And God bless it. I, I couldn't have loved this movie more. I bought it digitally, sight unseen. Now, I did get a credit that I used for another movie. Uh, it's a horror sequel called Evil Dead 2. Huh. Let's see how good that is. Uh-huh. Good. Yeah. So, but I don't regret I don't regret buying it, sight unseen. I, this, is, this is an awesome movie. And if you love the first two, if you love the first two, there is no way in hell you're not going to love this one. Truly. I can't, I can't fathom how. And that's the, that's the best ending I can give for that to say about that. And, so next up, next time Zephyr had pitched Little Shop of Horrors, it's still a really dark, scary time out there, and we need to be watching something funny and light. So goddamn right, Little Shop of Horrors is next, I think. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I cannot imagine a movie that, plus we get to talk about Rick Moranis. Yeah, especially with his, uh, his, his uh, coming back. God, that's so nice to see. Yeah. I just want to say, I love how everybody on the internet came to Rick Moranis' defense when some random guy attacked him on the street. 
I think they I think we were angrier about it than he was. I think so too. Like he was just like, well, that was weird. Right. <laughs> and he was un- he's unhurt. Well, that's you, good. You can find us at theomniplex.org. Hey, you can tweet at us. We are at the Omniplex, uh Facebook.com slash the Omniplex. You know, email us at the Omniplex Podcast at gmail.com. And of course wanna cross promote the ship has sailed, the, the YouTube show I do with uh, my friend Kitty. Also uh, review us on Podchaser. And that's it. Till next time. So, till next time. Bye y'all. Bye.